So what I'm about to share about myself, I hope you don't judge me or hate me for it. I have to admit, I'm a fan of K-pop, <laughs> of Korean dramas, and, um, and especially Korean variety shows. Now, there's one that's, that's called um, I Can See Your Voice. So it's actually a musical program so where they have contestants come and they're mystery contestants and they have a celebrities, Korean celebrity, musical artist, and one particular uh, artist or artists are to guess whether or not these contestants truly can sing or they're tone deaf. And so the object of the whole thing is they, they have these contestants not really sing until near the end where they have to decide whether they're real or not. They kind of lip sync and, uh, to, to songs so they kind of demonstrate they have kind of at least a stage presence to be a singer. So the whole point of the show is just to discern whether or not someone is who they are truly a singer or someone who is false. Now, this discernment of things that are true and false is often something we have to do on a daily basis. It's something that we commonly have to figure out. What is true and what is false? Like, a lot of times, the products we buy, right? Now, I have uh, a, an affection for watches. I, I like watches. And, 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 and because they're just uh, things that are creatively made... And, and they just are so precise when they're well-made. Now, the one that I'm wearing right now is one of my favorites. I, I wear it the most. It was one that was given to me when I graduated from college, from Cal Berkeley. So that's, that's almost 40 years ago. So this watch is probably a lot older than a lot of you. And I don't know if you're into watches. It's, it's, it's an Omega Seamaster. It was given to me by my mother's friend who asked what I would want upon my graduation. So out of her generosity, she gave me. Now, when I was very young, I didn't really appreciate what this watch uh, meant, but I figured it out when I looked it up uh, as to how much this thing is worth. But it's an amazing watch. Now, my mother's friend is from Hong Kong. So if you ever travel to Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong or China are very well known for knockoffs. So... <laughs> What things look like from the outside is not actually what it looks like on the inside. So I was terrible when I was young. I was thinking, is this really real or is it a fake? And, and um, luckily, uh, I had it uh, kind of reconditioned and uh, the watchman said it's real. So, but uh, whenever you go to places when I travel, like when I travel to, to Hong Kong or even in Europe, there's always people on the streets trying to sell you something. And you're always trying to figure out whether it's real or not. And that's, that's an important skill to have in life, discerning what is true and what is false. Because every day we have a lot of choices to make. And, and it's better for us to, to go through life experiencing knowing what is true versus what is false in our decision making. Because if you choose too many things that are wrong or fake or phony or are not true, it's going to cause a lot of frustration in your life, a lot of disappointments. And, and your life is not really going to be fulfilled and for sure not very fruitful. But in the same way, we have to discern that even in our 
our Christian walk in our faith, discerning what is true and what is not true. Now, I was told uh, by my wife recently that the way that the government or authorities figure out whether you have real money or counterfeit money, they always compare it to a real thing to figure out if something is fake or not. So the same thing about our faith. For us to know what is true and what is not true, we have to compare it to the real thing, to the truth. And the truth for us that's given by God is his word. The Bible is his truth. And this is the standard that we compare everything to figure out whether it's true or false. And that is what we are learning from the book of James, which is the series that we're currently going through, that James is telling us that the word of God that has been implanted in us is the truth, and that is the standard. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, at this whole idea of wondering what is true religion versus what is worthless religion. And how do we recognize that in ourselves, and how do we recognize this in others? And that is what James was dealing with in the early church. As we've been going through uh, the book of James each week, James is talking to a community that is undergoing suffering, hardship. And a lot of it's because of their new commitment to become Christians, to follow Jesus. But life has become harder for them because there has been a lot of persecution for this new loyalty to Jesus. And a lot of times, and we could probably identify with this, whenever we're under stress, when we're in a crisis mode, we tend to backslide. It's very hard to hold to a commitment when people are battering you, teasing you, abusing you. It's easier to just kind of back up, give up, and let go of that kind of commitment. And that's what was happening in the early church. And James was trying to stop this. He was telling people to, to, to maintain faithful to the commitment and that God understood their perse- persecution, but to hang on, to persevere, to endure. And that's, that's the kind of relevancy of that time as to today, that a lot of times under the culture we live in, in the neighborhoods, or the workplaces, even under the government that we all uh, function under, We're under a lot of pressure because of our faith. And it's very easy to kind of decommit ourselves to the faithfulness that God calls us to. And James is talking about that in his book. And so if you have your Bibles, I want us to look at James uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 27 in particular. But I'm actually going to read from verse 19 to just give a little bit of review because um, the context of verse 26 to 27 is dependent upon what some of these verses came before it. James 1, verse 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word 
and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that's the word of the Lord. So what is the intent of this passage? What is James getting at in this short passage? Essentially, James is telling us here, true religion produces righteousness of God. And we see this in verse, um, verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So this is the end goal for all of us, to have righteousness. And apparently anger is something that prevents us from producing righteousness. Now, when I say that word righteousness, I think last week I mentioned that righteousness means uh, living a life that is pleasing to God. So that's one way of looking at the word righteousness. It's a word that I believe a lot of us don't really truly understand. Because how often in our common daily language we, we use that word righteous or righteousness. And in some ways, it can be kind of confusing or misunderstood. And then I would have to say sometimes uh, not taught correctly from the pulpit what that word means. And in some ways, sadly, it's intentional for that. And I'll get to that later. So what does righteousness mean? And I have a slide here that the word righteousness or righteous comes from the Hebrew word tzedek. And it's, it's seen 500 times in the Old Testament. And then also in the New Testament, the word is in Greek, dikaios, which means uh, righteous or righteousness. And it's seen 200 times in the New Testament. So these words are, are repeat, the word righteousness is repeated over and over again in the Bible. And it's a very important word for us to understand truly. The word tzedek in Hebrew has a double concept. And it's often, when I say, uh, say it's taught, it's often taught as being morally right. But that's only half the truth, only half the meaning of the word. The word tzedek has two components to it. It has that part of being morally right or the holiness of God. But it also means justice, the justice of God. So it's a combination of justice and holiness gives the full meaning of what righteousness means. And that's very significant to to understand. Because oftentimes in American uh, Christianity, we tend to look at it as just being morally right as individuals. And we don't understand there is a responsibility for justice. And this is something that we have to own up. And confess whether we actually understand that to be righteous, which God wants us to produce out of our lives, has those two components of being holy, but also being justice people. And that's what true religion is. True religion is justice and holiness. 
it is righteousness. And unfortunately, many of us, as I said, do not understand this and also may intentionally ignore this component of our faith, that we ignore justice. We're all okay about being holy, but we avoid the justice part. And because of this, many of us have consequently a hole in our gospel, that we only have half the truth. And this has significant consequences in how we act, speak, and treat other people in the world. And this is an incomplete understanding of our faith. And I want to give a little bit of historical context of why this is so. I mean, this is something that I uh, realized in myself, that this misunderstanding of the word righteous, because, and I, I have to uh, take the higher road, that those who have taught me and mentored me, they didn't know better either. There, historically, um, I had a conversation, the historical context of this, with Dr. Gary Vanderpoel. If some of you were at our church retreat, we talked about this issue of, of righteousness and the word righteousness. And we had a private conversation. I asked him, why, why is this so? Why is the church kind of blind to this? And then Dr. Gary, who is a historian, a theologian, a, a theological uh, professor of theology, uh, he shared with me, that if you look in the Spanish Bible, if you look in the French Bible, the word righteousness is translated as justice. But American English have chosen to, to translate the word righteousness, the, the Hebrew word sedek, into righteousness, versus using the word justice as opposed to the Spanish and the French. And this is according to Dr. Gary, and you can actually see these in historical documents. This was intentional because of the formation of the United States, that this country was divided over the issue of slavery. The, one of the Protestant movement, the Methodists, the North and the South were discussing this in the translation. And the North were against slavery, said we can't use the word righteousness unless we teach it to understand that there is a component of justice. And to have slavery to have African Americans as slaves is unjust. And as Christians, we can't allow that. But the South, the Southern Christians, the Southern Methodists, did not agree, obviously. Slavery was part of their economy. And they said, no, we cannot do that. We cannot teach our people the word tzedek or righteousness as justice because that would mean we would have to explain slavery and why it was incorrect in their, or just in their eyes as Christians. And so if you know your history, in the 1860s, when there was the Civil War, they divided the country over slavery, but also the Christian church in America was divided. So the Methodist church divided from North and South denominations. And it wasn't until later, I believe in the 1960s, the, they became the United Methodists. They rejoined again. But during that time, during the 1840s, the 60s, during the Civil War time and over slavery, the Methodist Church divided into three groups, the North, the South, and 
an African-American black uh, arm of the Methodist church. But it was over this particular word that was intentionally not taught correctly over the issue of slavery. And this, you know, breaks my heart and it should break yours. For sure, it, it broke God's heart. If true religion produces the righteousness of God, what does worthless religion look like then? Well, James tells us in verse 26, there are two signs of a false religion. And the first one we see in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So again, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So the first sign that James points out here in this verse about what is a false religion, what is a worthless religion, is that it's an unbridled tongue. It's speech that comes out of your mouth that is hateful, that is evil, that is hurtful. Because that, what comes out of your mouth is representative of what's coming out of your heart. And so James is saying that a worthless religion is someone who has an unbridled tongue. And we, we learned last week that earlier that James talk, talks in verse 19 about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And, and that's essentially just controlling your emotions and out of your emotions the things you will say. Because a lot of times the words we say can be hurtful if we're not careful of what we, we, we say. And as Christians, we're called to love people that we are supposed to encourage them, edify them, to build them up, not tear them down. And so if the words that come out of our mouth are not reflective of that kind of attitude, then there's something wrong with us, that we are not living out our faith according to the, the wishes and desires of God, that we are to be loving people. So the words that come out of our mouth should be encouraging and not abusive or hurtful or painful for others to see or hear. You know, when um, we're all children, we all learn this thing, right? This little rhyme that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You remember being told that? I remember in elementary school they used to teach that. But unfortunately for me, I never understood why that was true. If you've ever had people say negative things to you, abusive things to you, and especially as a person of color, when other kids called you racial slurs because you're Chinese, that little rhyme there didn't make sense because words can hurt. They do tremendous amount of damage to any of us who have experienced that. And so James is warning us that a, a, a false religion, a, a, a worthless religion, would be one where people do not have control of their tongue and say things that are hurtful to others. The second thing that he says here in verse 26, that is a sign of a worthless religion, 
is that people that are going through the motions of their religion, that's worthless. That essentially they're phonies, they're fakes, they're hypocritical. If they're just going through the motions and looking like Christians, but deep down in their heart, they don't really truly believe what they're doing or saying, that's a false religion. That's a worthless religion. The word hypocritical, the Greek word, it comes from acting. It means to be a stage actor. So to be hypocritical, you're just acting and just taking on a part of looking, looking like something that you're not really. It's just a role you're playing. And I'm telling you, if that's your case, if you're just trying to be a Christian from the outside, I'm telling you, it's better not to do that. It's, being a Christian is really hard. And if you're trying to fake being a Christian, that's even more harder. That that's, would be almost suicidal to do that kind of, uh, to live your life like that. It's better not to fake it. Because if you have a true relationship with Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit with you. And with the Holy Spirit, and only with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can then live out a life that is genuine and true to the faith. Because if you're faking it, one, it does damage to people, and it's doing damage to yourself. But God is not happy, and there is a judgment for those who are hypocritical. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. That's really harsh, that they look pretty from the outside, but within, it's just a lot of death and decay. And so that is a hard word to hear, but maybe it may free you to understand that if you're faking it, don't do it. But if you genuinely want to have a true experience of what it means to be a Christian and to have a faith that is genuine, then look to Jesus, embrace him, because that is the source that will allow you to live a true, true life in the faith James says this, the evidence of a worthless religion is angry talk coming out of a person that is hateful and words that are not true. They're all lies. And it's someone pretending to be religious but is really being hypocritical. That's what worthless religion looks like. And too often, sadly, I see this in the news every day, especially recently. Uh, if you've been following the current situation in our country, it's over this whole issue of illegal border crossing and immigration. And uh, sadly, the administration that that's, uh, our um, authority figures are saying things that are false, totally lies, out of hatred and bigotry and racism. We have a U.S. Attorney General who uses the Bible to justify separating children from their parents through Romans 13. And of course, he's cherry-picking the scriptures, and he doesn't read the rest of the scriptures of Romans 13. He's telling us to obey the law because God tells us to obey authorities. But then he doesn't read the other parts of Romans 13 where we are to treat them like ourselves, 
to treat neighbors just like ourselves and that we are to love them. And for me, this is the biggest mistake, the biggest thing that breaks my heart is when people misuse God's word to justify evil. And it's interesting, you know, that I mentioned earlier about the whole issue of the word righteousness and, and how it's inter, uh, translated in our English Bibles and how the Methodist church was a part of that. That's sad. But the same thing, if you look at the, and I'm not, I want to preface this by saying, I'm not saying this out of hatred or malice or, or judgment. I'm just stating some facts here. And I'm old enough to have lived through different decades of this country to see um, the brokenness of man, especially the, over the issue of race relationships. Um, and so if you look at everything about this country, which is a great country, but there is some evil that is in this country that has not disappeared and will not disappear until Jesus comes back. And this is the part that I want us to be aware of, that the founding of this country was, was on the basis of a genocide of the Native Americans, right? It was taken from another people group by European colonizers who happened to be white. That's dominant culture, and it began there. And then the Native Americans were looked upon as not something that was needed in this country. So they put them on reservations. Common theme here, put people of color into segregation or separate them from main culture. That's the history of this country. Slavery, no, no rights at all, non-voting for many years until 1960, in the 60s, the Civil Rights Act. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 affected my family. My family came to the United States through the Hawaiian Islands in the late 1800s. But because of the, exclu the Chinese Exclusion Act, they could not marry, they could not vote, they could not own land. They couldn't bring wives over because of restrictions on immigration, because of the color of their skin. And the Exclusion Act was brought in because Irish workers were afraid of the Chinese taking low-paying wages. It's always about the money. And so they, being fearful, pushed for this kind of legislation to restrict Chinese laborers coming to the United States and affected generations. Because I have many uncles who were bachelors for the rest of their lives because they could not bring their families over, or they couldn't bring uh, Chinese women to get married because they weren't allowed for sure to marry someone outside of the race. That was the case in the 1800s, the early 1900s, maybe not even to the 1950s that that law was struck from, from the books that there could not be intermarriage. That's the history of our country. And then now we have so-called illegal crossing of the borders because of our Latino brothers and sisters. And so the answer is to put them into internment camps, just like the Japanese were put into internment camps in the 1940s because of their ethnicity. 
There seems to be a pattern here. And I know we live in the Bay Area. We live in a bubble. And we don't necessarily see this all the time. But the rest of the country is different. And we have to not be blind to this. But as God says, to be gentle as doves, but be wise as serpents. And so don't get too comfortable because there is evil in this world that will continue to do what they want to do, is to separate and segregate, to create wedges, to divide. And unfortunately, there are people who are so-called, who call themselves Christians, that are not, but espousing evil. And that is for us to be able to discern what is true and what is false. And as true people of God, we are called to be righteous. Bruce Walkie says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Justice is really hard to do, but the righteous are willing to do it because God calls us to do it. But to, to, to enter into the arena of doing justice requires self-sacrifice. Just as Bruce Walkie says, it means we give up our advantages so others may have an advantage. That's really hard to do because we are naturally self-centered, selfish people. We want our own comfort. But God calls us to love people and be, to be like Jesus, not to be served, but to serve. And justice requires an ultimate sacrifice, meaning we give up our rights, our comfort for others who are marginalized, who are othered, who are abused, persecuted. And that is what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And James continues in verse 27, what is a true religion? He tells us in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two things here, two characteristics of what true religion is. And the first one is that we love people by visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. These are actions that demonstrate justice. And... <clears throat> And James points out um, orphans and widows. It's kind of a category of, in that particular time, people who are pretty much going to be destitute on their own, that nobody really cares for orphans or widows financially. Um, They're kind of abandoned. And so that's the case if we bring it to today's context. It's anybody that's in, in poverty, who's at a disadvantage. Those are the people that we should show justice towards, to show love. When we were at the church retreat this past April, we learned about how we express justice. And then uh, Dr. Van, uh, Gary Vanderpoel showed us four possible ways. They were relational. We could do it financially. We can do it uh, vocationally. And then also politically. Those are four arenas where we can express justice. And a lot of us probably do relational, where we, we go into communities and learn 
uh, learn about them and how to uh, meet their needs. Not to necessarily to change them, but just come alongside them. And then financially, I know a lot of us are very good at that in, in supporting uh, other nonprofit organizations or giving away assets, our assets, to, to these organizations directly or indirectly and helping, helping those who are uh, suffering injustices, injustices in this world. Uh, and the other way is vocational. And vocational is where we use how, uh, our abilities and our training to, to, to uh, come alongside people. And, and one of the ways that our church does this for, for those who are vocationally in healthcare, we do the eye screening. And I'm going to do, speak a little bit more about our eye screening soon. But that's one way where we can, can use our vocation, our profession, to um, uh, work in the area of justice uh, in, in areas where they need it. And then finally, the last area is political. And this one is the most, probably the difficult one to arena to enter in. And we had kind of a discussion at the retreat and one that a lot, a lot of us are probably not very comfortable being in, in politics because for me, politics is having to rub alongside some very unscrupulous kind of people. <laughs> and 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 changes in politics take longer. Um, Dr. Gary was saying that it could take generations to have correction through systemic injustices through politics. And a lot of us who dare to go into that arena, you may not see long-term change until you pass away and the next generation sees it, just like the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera, women's rights. Chinese Exclusion Act wasn't rescinded until 1946. Started in 1882, so that's a long time. So a lot of injustices don't change politically really quickly. And that's one area, though, I think uh, I, uh, we're hopeful for that maybe the younger generation will enter into that as something that, that we can make strides in. And then the, the second thing that, 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 that uh, James ta- tells us about what true religion is, is that it has behaviors that demonstrate holiness. That there is the actions demonstrating justice, which is the part about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. And then the second part of verse 27, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Essentially, that is to be holy, to be not like the world. Jesus sent out his disciples, right? Sent us to to be in the world, but not of the world. That the world is a place where there's a lot of danger, a lot of darkness, a lot of evil, a lot of filthiness and wickedness. And we are to uh, try to keep ourselves from being stained by the world, to remain holy. And that, again, is very difficult. That's impossible. We can't do that on our own. And we can only do that with the help of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So as followers, that is what is the only way we can do it. And even so, many of us are broken and susceptible to temptation and to sin. And that can only be uh, forgiven and covered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And in this room, I'm sure for, for those who have not made that commitment, to follow Jesus. This is an opportunity, and I invite you, if you are interested, come talk to me. But the only way one can be
be righteous before God, to escape the darkness and the weakness in the world, is to have a relationship with Jesus. That through him, through what he did on the cross, that the blood of the lamb is the one that will wash you clean and protect you from the darkness and evil in this world. And that's what true religion is. True religion is one that loves people and loves God. True religion is about righteousness. And true religion loves God, loves people. And being able to love God and love people means you can serve the world. Now, doesn't that kind of sound familiar somewhere? Love God, love people, serve the world. Well, that happens to be our mission for our church as it should be actually the mission for all Christian churches, is that that's what we've been called to do by God. And that's what James emphasizes here in verse 27, as to what a true religion looks like. And I mentioned earlier that one way that we express our loving of people and expression of justice is through our eye screening, which is going to happen this summer again. It's our eighth time in the past nine or ten years that we've done this. We're heading into Richmond again, and we're going to do this with our partner church, Living Hope Neighborhood, uh, Living Hope Neighborhood Church. And I have a video, and I think we're going to play the video, and it'll give you a taste of what um, the ice screening is all about. This is a video that was taken when we were in, when we first started in West Oakland, and and uh, it's done by Paul Chan, who is the director of World Impact, who was one of our partners during that ice screening. So let's take a look. Well, I mean, the main thing we're doing here is just trying to get glasses and uh, eye prescriptions to people in West Oakland. West Oakland is a kind of a deprived area. There's a couple of project areas in West Oakland, usually considered one of the poor areas of Oakland. Kind of a difficult area to, to get people to go see eye doctors and optometrists. And by bringing an eye screening clinic here, they're able to get prescriptions and vouchers and get some glasses, which probably otherwise they wouldn't get. I'm Leslie Kong, and I'm a member of Christian Layman Church, and this is the visual acuity test. So this is the first screening test we do for all our patients, where they look at an eye chart, and we get a general idea of what their vision is like. It's kind of a gross measurement of how well they can read distance. This is a NCT, it's a screening for glaucoma, measuring the pressures of the eye. The retinal scans are giving us a little bit idea of the health of the eyes related to things like hypertension, uh, diabetes, cholesterol. You're how old are you? Six. Six. Auto refraction measures the length and curvatures of the eye. It takes the place of what we used to call retinoscopy where we did it manually, and this is an automated version of that. There's a lot of churches out there that really have a heart for the poor, but don't really know how to intersect. And this is one of the ways that this one church was able to do that. And what they have is they have different stations, and each station just has a different task. And so they're not really like rushing everybody through. It's, it's really very comprehensive and gives an opportunity for the church and its volunteers to really interact with the members of West Oakland, with its residents. When you come in, you will see this prayer tent. It is the first thing that we are offering to the community if they would like prayer. And it seems like when you look at it physically, the smallest part, but really it is the most important part. 
Um, one thing God taught me today was to be humble and to just be willing to serve Him in whatever way He has called me to. Like, I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm not here to like um, do anything by myself, but I just need to be bold and know that like, um, by being like a daughter of God, like um, He moves through me and that um, I, I need to be bold in that too. When people walk in, I'm at the front gate. When people walk in, they have a different face than when they walk out. Their countenance has changed. They get prayed for often. And even if they say they don't really want prayer one-on-one, -on -one, often the people that are working behind the different mechanisms are saying they're praying in their mind, they're praying, they're praying for them. So here we are in this Catholic parish, Catholic school, working with World Impact across the street, with Mount Zion, people from Mount Zion, Baptist over there, a couple people from Pathway, which is in San Ramon, and then we're Christian layman. See you later. Yeah, take care. <clears throat> like I say, the continent changed entirely. But World Impact has been in West Oakland for the past about 20 years or so. We run a community center, we run a resource center. What I really like about this is that we can do visible sacrifice. It's one thing to be able to give out jackets or to feed the poor, but to me the real thing is finding opportunities to do meaningful sacrifice. And the reason why is, is I think in our, our, our Christian nature, our Christian culture, we have a longing to sacrifice, as Christ sacrificed for us, and we know that when we do sacrifice, it's the closest we have to living through Christ. It's the greatest testimony that we have to an unbelieving world. Yesterday, we had an individual walk in who uh, his entire face was swollen because he just got mugged in the street the night before. He's a little afraid to go to the police, a little afraid to go to the doctor, but he came here knowing that maybe somebody could care and somebody could talk to him. So our doctors actually checked on him, checked to make sure there was no damage to his eye. And I just thought that was great. I just felt like the connection to the community that they came to seek us, knowing that we're a Christian organization, a place that they felt safe enough to come to. I think it speaks about one of those ministries that happened within another ministry. I want to see you before you leave here, all right? So I would just challenge anyone's out there who's listening, uh, take a chance, take a step out in faith. Don't always do only what's comfortable, but find opportunities for you to be just willing to follow God and listen to his will and just be available to him. And I think God rewards intention. If you have that intention, he'll reward it. So yeah, that, that's a, kind of a reminder of the kind of influence or impact that, that we, we have in our community. And we are still continuing to take uh, sign-ups for volunteers because we need about 45 volunteers a day to, to run the eye screening. So if, if you haven't signed up, uh, maybe this is something you, that God's uh, tugging at your heart to, to join us in those days in July. So I encourage you to, to think about it and make that kind of commitment. And uh, we'll be taking sign-ups after service today, I believe, in the foyer. You heard some wonderful stories in that video, and uh, this year we're returning to Richmond. And since we're, I brought up the whole issue of immigration, and 
Living Hope Neighborhood Church, which is one of our partner churches in the Richmond area, in their community, they have a lot of immigrants from, from Muslim countries. So there are a lot of Muslim people that live in the neighborhood where we're going to. And we, we saw some signs of, uh, of that population, of that community, when we have our eye screening. And I remember years ago when they were more guarded, that when they came, they didn't really trust us because they knew we were Christians. But as people of the Muslim faith, they were a little bit more uh, careful. And there, there's a story where uh, there was one family that the uh, Living Hope pastors were trying to reach out to, but they would refuse any interaction. But that family showed up at the eye screening and with their children, this husband and wife and their, and their children, and they got glasses. And they got to interact with us as Christians. And they were so touched by that interaction that later that day, the pastors at Living Hope told us that that family brought a basket of food to share with the pastors. And if you don't know about Middle Eastern culture, having table fellowship is the most intimate thing you can have. And so for those uh, Living Hope pastors, they told told us they, they couldn't make any inroads until the eye screening happened where they actually saw Christian love expressed in a tangible way in meeting their physical needs, that they dropped their guard. That that family then would associate themselves with Christians. And so last year was another amazing thing that often you saw the prayer tent. A lot of them at first, in the previous years, denied having us pray for them. But last year, some of the Muslim families allowed us as Christians to pray to them, pray for them. And that's an amazing testimony of the love that God has for his people. That we can then demonstrate that to a, a people group that sadly have been abused by many Christians. And, and this year we're hoping for even more stories like that. Because the Living Hope has a, a VBS that they reach out to the Muslim community. And so some of their children are being allowed to come to the VBS program. And there was a little bit of tension. There's a little funny side from the Christian side is that uh, the pastors from Living Hope told us that some of the fathers would, came and told uh, the Living Hope to stop teaching the, the children's Christian songs because their kids were singing, singing about Jesus at home because <laughs> they learned them at VBS at, at, at summer camp. And, and so it was creating some tension within their families. But that's an amazing story of how God is working through the children of these Muslim families and actually uh, opening doors to, to their mothers and fathers uh, to, to interact with the Christian community. So it's an exciting place to be in July uh, to see God working and for you to be a part of that. So I encourage you. That would be an amazing thing because as I shared today, true religion means we love God, we love people, and we serve the world. And the ice screening is a tangible way that we as Christian Lehman Church can do that together. And that's an amazing thing, that the ice screening is not done by one individual. It's done by an entire community. It's done by our church, and it's a way that we can use our gifts and our love for God to serve other people. So I hope 
that is something that is exciting to you, attractive to you, and that's something you will join us in. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, an opportunity to, to uh, share your word. I pray that again that your word does not return void, as we know that you promise. And I pray for all of us here that we look into our hearts to generally understand what it means to follow a true God, to know what is true and what is false. Because that is a, a question that has tremendous consequences for eternity. Forgive us when we fall short, when we become hypocritical, but help us to return to the right path through the blood of Jesus. Say so thank you in his name. Amen.